0: We build our life on the firm foundation that is Jesus Christ. And we're going to actually get into that a little bit here in uh, the book of 1 Corinthians. If you want to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 3, one of the thoughts that occurred to me as I was thinking through this sermon and, you know, where we were going to go with this sermon and how it was all going to fit together um, was old cartoons like Bugs Bunny or Winnie the Pooh because... Old cartoons had, like, the surface-level humor that the five-year-old gets, and then as you get older, you realize, oh, wow, there's some real wit in there. There's some deeper things in those cartoons, and you start to realize the depth of the wit of the writers of those, and it's really cool to me. New cartoons, I, I don't know about you, but I don't see it. It seems like it lacks that depth. But boy, there was some real depth. And what we're going to see today is that in the gospel, there is depth. There is real depth to the gospel. Spiritual maturity matters. You see, as Christians, we need to realize that there are deeper elements of life. There is something more than just the surface level, basic life. No, instead, what we're going to see is that as Christians, we are called to more than just human existence. We're called to life in the Spirit. We are not called to just mere human existence, but we're called to something more, something deeper. And that's where we're going to go in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. As you're turning in your Bibles, I want to remind you sort of the, the setting of the book of Corinthians. Remember that the Apostle Paul wrote the book of 1 Corinthians probably about three years after having been in the city of Corinth and working with the church in Corinth. And Paul wrote the book of 1 Corinthians because there was problems in the church. There was division, tribalism, people causing all sorts of strife. Now, I don't believe we have division and tribalism going on in our church today, but we can learn from their mistakes. And we can use that so that we as a church can grow We might not be dealing with exactly the same problems, but we do have the exact same sin nature. And so by studying this book, we can take some preventative steps to ensure that we grow strong together. So let's start, and we're going to read verses 1 through 4 in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you still are not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, Are you not mere human beings? The Apostle Paul in this first part of chapter three is making an argument. And the argument is that the Christian call is more than just fire insurance. The Christian call is more than just fire insurance. It is really, really, really good fire insurance. I'll give you that. But it doesn't stop there. What Paul says in verses one through two is that there is such a thing as spiritual infancy. There is such a thing as spiritual infancy. Paul doesn't tell the Corinthians, you are entirely unspiritual. You're unregenerate. No. He says, you're acting like babies. There is such a thing as spiritual infancy. I'm going to give you a theological term here. Justification. It's an important theological term. Uh, We really get this out of Romans 5. If you want in your Bibles to look at Romans 5.1, or you may have this memorized. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justification is a legal term that refers to what I would say is the process by which God declares somebody forgiven. Justification, the legal process by which God declares somebody as having been forgiven. God declares them to possess the righteousness of Christ, no longer deserving of the punishment of hell. That's justification. The minute that you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the minute you place your complete faith that Jesus died on the cross and that that death on the cross by Jesus is sufficient to pay for your sins, you are justified. That's justification. God takes you from a state of being in conflict with God, opposed to God as a sinner destined for hell, and he moves you to a state of justification, completely forgiven, possessing the righteousness of Christ. That happens the moment you accept Jesus as your personal savior. That is spiritual infancy at that point. Justification is the beginning. Justification is step one. It's an important step. It's a hugely important step. But there is more. There is more to the Christian walk than just being saved from hell. I don't want to in any way diminish that. That's huge. We should be internally thankful, and we will be eternally grateful for that. But there's more than just being saved from hell. And that's what Paul is getting at. In developmental psychology, I used to teach a course at the university on learning theories, how people learn. And in developmental psychology, we look at stages of cognitive development. And one of the stages is called the pre-operational stage. Happens usually between ages two and seven or when people are in this stage. In the pre-operational stage, a child... Is very egocentric. The only thing they can think about is themselves. It's, you all see this, right? The only thing they can think about is themselves. But, coming around the age of seven, they move into the formal operational stage and they begin to decrease in their egocentrism and can begin to think about others around them. The world consists of more than just them. Okay, that's a, Psychological development. In the Christian, there is a developmental stage. When you are first saved, you often can only think about salvation from your sin as keeping you out of hell. And it does. But as you mature, you begin to realize that, oh, I should actually be more like Christ. It's not just that salvation keeps me out of hell, it's that salvation gives me the opportunity to be like Jesus to have freedom from sin. And that's what Paul is getting at here. In verse 3, he gives us symptoms of somebody who is a spiritual infant. Jealousy and quarreling. Jealousy and quarreling are symptoms of spiritual infancy. He calls those individuals worldly. They are self-centered. They are divisive and they are self-exalting That's spiritual infancy jealousy and quarreling come from self-centeredness now spiritual infancy is not in and of itself wrong it's a stage just like being a baby is not wrong okay being a baby is not itself wrong Staying a baby is, right? A couple of years ago, I took my nephew to the zoo, Caleb, uh, to the Omaha Zoo, and they had recently built a big jungle gym area. And he was uh, just over two years old, and we were climbing up in it. And he he is naturally a little more nervous; he's more cautious. Um, his sister is not, but he's more cautious. And we had gotten up pretty high, and we were climbing through a tube, and he was, he was pretty nervous as he was pawing his way through the tube. And uh, some older kids, probably like 8 and 10, were on the other side, uh, probably brothers by the way they were acting. And uh, one of the kids looked in the tube and came back out and told his, his younger brother, just wait, let's let the baby get through. <laughs> and as Caleb crawled the rest of the way through, he looked at the kids and said, I'm a big boy, I'm not a baby anymore. (laughs) Being a baby is okay, but at some point you need to grow up. It's important. We teach this to children, right? We teach children, it's time to be a big boy, a time to be a big girl and to grow up. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, Christians, it's a call to more than just fire insurance. There is this thing called spiritual infancy and you need to move on. He uses the example of milk. Milk versus solid food. This isn't hard theology versus easy theology. No, this is are you focused on yourself and just your salvation from hell or are you focused on Christ and trying to become more like Christ? Ultimately, Paul gives a strong diagnostic question. In verse four, he says, where's your identity? With whom is your identity? This will help you find out how you're doing in your development. Are you focusing on mere humans? One says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. With whom is your identity? Are you focusing on mere humans or are you beginning to look at Christ and become more and more like Christ? So let me give you an action step. Do a self-check. Are you acting like a spiritual infant or are you living by the Spirit? Are you looking to grow more and more like Christ as you let the Holy Spirit work in your life or are you focused on yourself and simply treating your Christian calling as fire insurance? Do a self-check. Are you acting like a spiritual infant Or are you living by the Spirit? Let's read on in verses 5 through 9. Verse 5 starts with, What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each his task, I planted the seed. Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. What I see here is that Christian, you need to realize that the Christian is called to recognize God is the one who brings about spiritual growth. Recognize that God is the one. We need to be careful. We need to be careful to recognize that every leader, mentor, role model is merely a servant of God. As we grow in spiritual maturity, as we move from spiritual infancy to spiritual adulthood, our focus turns more and more to Christ, and we imitate more and more Christ, and we recognize that leaders, mentors, role models are just servants of God. It's about God. It's not about individual humans. Paul reminds the the Corinthians that Paul and Apollos were the means by which the Corinthians came to know Christ, not the cause. Did you catch that? Spiritual leaders are the means by which we come to know Christ, not the cause. The cause is and always will be Christ. Paul and Apollos were assigned a ministry task. They were servants of God. And from a human point of view, from a human point of view, they had done something significant. They had converted people to come to know Christ. But from the spiritual point of view, they were simply the tools that God had used. And you don't praise your hammer, no matter how nice it is. You praise the builder. God is the one who brings us to spiritual maturity. And so what that means is that as Christians, we must be careful to recognize that God is the person of significance. It is and always will be all about God. That has to be our focus. That's how we move to spiritual maturity, as we turn our eyes on Jesus. And the things of earth, the human things, grow strangely dim. Verses 6 through 7 emphasize that, that God is the one who is significant. He is the one who brings about the growth. He's the one who deserves the praise. As we seek to grow from spiritual infancy into spiritual adulthood, the person we go to is God, and we allow God to use our spiritual mentors, our spiritual leaders as tools But the focus is always on God. Today is the Super Bowl. And as Pastor David mentioned, there is going to be a winner and there is going to be a loser. Actually, in in most of life, we're, we're kind of used to this idea that there is a winner and there's a loser. That's a lot of what we experience. But in verses eight and nine, the Apostle Paul points out something that's really important. In the Christian walk, amongst Christian brothers and sisters, amongst Christian leaders, there's not a winner and loser. You see, Christians have to be careful to recognize that we work together in the service of God. We're used to a world which has finite resources, and therefore there can only be a winner and a loser, right? If you think about that, is there any other way it can turn out at the end of the game tonight where both teams walk away with Super Bowl rings? No, that's not going to happen. But we don't serve a finite resourced God. We serve a God of infinite resources, and I'm going to give you a huge, important math fact today infinity divided by two is still infinity. That's important. We serve the infinite resource God, and as a result, we can work together, not having to compete, because we know that God can infinitely reward. In Paul's writing here, he says, there is no distinction. (laughs) No, instead, for we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. So, let me give you an action step. Evaluate your view of your leaders, mentors, and role models. Are you holding them in the right regard? As we grow spiritually, from spiritual infants to spiritually mature, we must begin to put our focus on Christ Yes, it's great to have spiritual leaders, great to have spiritual mentors, great to have spiritual role models, but we must hold them in the right regard as simply people who point us to Christ, tools that God is using in our spiritual growth. Does this mean, though, that our spiritual role models are off the hook? Right? If it's not about them, and I'm telling you it's not, then they can just relax because they have no responsibility. No. Let's read on in verses 10 to 15. Paul writes, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one God already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. The fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved. The Christian leader is called to build wisely. In a church, in a congregation, we have Christian leaders. There's a lot of us who are leading and our call, your call as a leader is to build wisely. First of all, the Christian leader must be sure that they're building in a way that's consistent with the foundation. The foundation is Jesus Christ, and our building must be consistent with the foundation. We have a building project going on over here. One of the biggest challenges that we have faced is figuring out what was behind walls, what was underneath, and what the foundation actually could support. We had to put reinforcing in the ceiling to support the roof. What is it that the foundation will actually support? If you build outside of what the foundation will support, you are asking for a disaster. And that's what Paul is saying. You, Christian leader, are called to build, but make sure that you're building in a way that is consistent with the foundation. Also, make sure you're building in the way God's called you to build, the expertise that God has given you. Just like in our construction, there are electricians There's carpenters. There are people who do plumbing. There's people who do drywall. They all have their expertise. So in Christ's church, he has equipped different people for different tasks. Some lay a foundation. Others are responsible for building on that foundation. That's the call of the Christian leader. But Paul goes on and he says, don't just focus on making sure you're consistent with the foundation. That matters too. But Also make sure you're building with the right materials. The Christian leader must be sure that they're building with proper materials. Paul talks about wood, hay, straw, cheap materials that aren't going to last very long. Last night we were talking about uh, vacations to Europe that the Downs had taken, and one of the things Angie commented on was the rubble in Europe, of all of the stone and things like that that are still in place thousands of years later, as opposed to in the United States, if you go digging, you're not going to find many buildings that are a 1,000 years old. They're built with different materials. Wood, hay, and straw don't last forever. You're not going to go dig them up and find them. The Christian leader must be sure they're building with the proper materials. What is it, the wood, hay, and straw? Well, it's faster to build with wood than it is to pour concrete. But it doesn't last as long. I was trying to think, what are some examples of this? I could tell you all that your best life is right now. No matter what, you know, you just live the life, enjoy it. Everything's great. Everything is awesome. Life's going to be happy. You could leave here feeling charged up and ready to go. But that's not the message of Scripture. The message of Scripture is that we need Christ. We are nothing without Christ. Life is hard because of the fall, because of our sin nature. But Jesus provides redemption. And you may go out of here and you may be bearing a burden, but Christ will give you sufficient grace for that burden. He might not remove it from you. Those are two entirely different messages. One message is going to be blown away in the wind. The message of Christ and his love, redeeming love to save you as a sinner, that will endure the Christian leader must be sure that they're not just building with wood, hay, and straw, but building on the foundation with proper building materials. Gold, silver, costly stones, expensive materials that take a lot of work to put in right, but will last forever. Finally, the Christian leader has to recognize that their work will be judged. We don't like talking about judgment but it's true. Our work, our work will be judged. That's what verses 13 through 15 tell us. Now, I want to be careful here. Romans 6, 23 guarantees us that salvation is a gift. It is not a work. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tells us, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourself; it is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. Your salvation, if you've accepted that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, your salvation is eternally secure and will not be judged. You are guaranteed heaven. But the works that you do here, post-salvation, God will evaluate those. He will look at what have you done, not to condemn you, but instead to look for how he can reward you. I don't know about you, but I long for the words of Matthew twenty-five, twenty-three. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I'm working for, is to hear those words spoken by my Lord and Savior. The Christian leader has to recognize our works are judged, And we should strive to work in a way that builds on the foundation that has been laid, the foundation of Jesus Christ. So let me give you an action step. This is a two-parter. If you are a leader, evaluate the work you are doing. Evaluate it. If you're learning from someone else, ask yourself if they're building on the proper foundation with proper materials. Don't let somebody build on the foundation that you have of Jesus Christ with wood, hay, and straw. Don't let them do it. Force them to build with lasting materials. So, so far, what have we covered? I told you that we need to go deeper. We need to live life according to the Spirit, not just fire insurance. That it requires that we depend on we're building on the right foundation, And now, if you're thinking about this, you might be asking a question. This is a whole lot of work. Does it really matter? Is it really that important? After all, my fire insurance is pretty good. I'm just going to be content with that. Let's look at verses 16 and 17. In verse 16, it says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. Christians must understand the significance of God's local church and their spiritual growth. We must understand the significance of God's local church and spiritual growth. Now, first of all, I want to give you an argument for why I think this passage is specifically referring to the local church. Okay, there is a local church, which is a gathered body of believers, and the universal church, which is all those who have been saved from the day of Pentecost forward. Two different entities, local church, universal church. This passage, I think, is talking about the local church. Why? Because the global church, the universal church, cannot be destroyed. Ephesians 5.27 tells us that. God's church's universal church cannot be overcome. Christ will protect it and present it as a spotless bride. So the universal church is invincible because Christ will protect it. Here, the apostle Paul warns, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. The implication here is that God's talking about local bodies of believers which can be harmed. So my argument is that Christians have to understand the significance of God's local church and their spiritual growth. First, look at verse 16. Verse 16 tells us that the Spirit of God dwells in the midst of God's local church. The Spirit of God dwells in the midst of God's local church. We teach, and it's accurate, that when you accept Jesus as your Savior, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. That's absolutely true. But there is also something special about God's local church gathered together. That's what this is telling us. is When God's local church is gathered together for worship, for service, as a church, God's Spirit dwells in your midst. You are God's temple. Now here is the word for temple. In ancient Israel, there were several portions of the temple. There was the temple courtyard. And you'd go through different gates. There was the gate of women. Women could go up only so far. Then there was the court of the Gentiles. Gentiles could only go so far. And then there was the court of the Jews, Jews could go so far. And then there was the holy place and only the priests could go into there. And then there was the holy of holies and only the high priest could go into there once per year. At the moment of Jesus' crucifixion, the veil was torn into joining the holy place together with the holy of holies. There was no longer a distinction. The word here for temple is the holy place. When we gather together as a church, we are the holy place of God, his temple. So why should we strive for spiritual maturity? Because we together are the holy place of God. And we should strive to give our best in the holy place of God, to give honor to the holy place of God. Verse 17 tells me that God places incredible value on his local church. Probably written to false teachers. In fact, I'm quite confident it's written to false teachers, but we can glean from it. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. God's temple is important to him, which means God's local church is important to God. God cares about his local church gathered together. So we serve God as a local body of believers. Serving is God's temple. So let me give you an action step. Ask yourself this. How can I better serve God in his local church? He's called you here. He's placed you here for a reason. The text doesn't say this, but in my mind, I think this. He's made you a decoration on the wall. How are you going to adorn God's holy place? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your church, a place where we can grow from Spiritual infancy to maturity. I pray that you would bless us, that you would push us forward to grow. Not for ourselves, but for your glory. As objects in your temple your holy place. Help us to move from spiritual immaturity to spiritual maturity. I pray, Lord, that as a church, we would be marked by individuals that aren't content to be babies anymore, but want to grow to be big Christians. Christians who serve you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.